Welcome to Practical Christian Living. We see a certain amount of respect that Nicodemus has with Jesus. And I would say that when you're searching, when you are, when you're on a journey to find out whether or not you're going to believe in God or follow Him, I would say just come with respect. That's always a good thing. Can never, never be a bad thing uh, to come to Him with respect, and Nicodemus surely did. There's never a bad time to come to Jesus. There's never a bad reason. Jesus will take you anytime, in any condition. Today in our series, Jesus Appointments, we look at Jesus' appointment with a curious Pharisee who was searching for something more. We're in John chapter 3. Here's Robert Furrow. We are in a series called the last Jesus half of the year, first half of the year ain't been good. And we are looking I at told different my appointments wife that Jesus had first half of the years, and what we exactly can learn from them. We also first half believe of the year that we have good. appointments with Jesus. You had an appointment with Christ when you became a Christian. Maybe you had an appointment with Christ when you came back to Christ after you walked away. I did. I walked away for a year and God brought me back and did amazing things in my life. God has had appointments in my life to encourage me, sometimes to warn me, sometimes to rebuke me, sometimes to correct me. And I am thankful for all of those appointments that I have had with Him. And we can learn from the appointments that we see here today. We've seen Jesus' appointment with John the Baptist as his ministry began. We've seen his appointment with the devil as he was tested and tempted and became our champion, by the way. We've seen his appointment with Peter as Peter moved from nominal Christianity or as a nominal disciple into a, a fervency, sold out, all for Jesus disciple. And I think that some of us have to have that kind of an appointment as well. We saw the appointment with the paralytic, which had a greater lesson that Jesus, the most important thing for us is the forgiveness of sins. Today, we look at an appointment with Jesus and Nicodemus in the book of John. We see Nicodemus three times in the book of John. We see him here with this conversation, which is incredibly important and helps us to understand what eternal life is really all about and what real salvation is. It helps us to understand what happens inside of us when we become Christians, when we invite Jesus in. A little bit later on, the Sanhedrin wants to arrest Jesus. It's in the middle of the ministry, not near the end. And they send out temple guards to arrest him. But the temple guards come back and they go to the Sanhedrin. Nobody spoke as this man spoke. The temple guards made a judgment. I don't think this guy is worthy of being arrested. And the Sanhedrin was appalled and told him, you go get him. And Nicodemus speaks up. Later on, this is the middle of the book of John. Nicodemus speaks up and says, since when do we judge men before we even hear them? And the rest of the Sanhedrin says, you're one of his disciples as well, which very well may be the case. We're never told he is, but it very well may be the case. Then we see him at the end of the book of John when Joseph of Arimathea is preparing the body of Jesus for burial to bury him in his tomb. And Nicodemus shows up with a hundred pounds of spices this is frankincense and myrrh. These are expensive spices, which tell us that he was a man that had money. In fact, history tells us that he was an incredibly wealthy man, that his family was influential in Jerusalem. It is said that it was Nicodemus' son who eventually surrendered to the Romans in 70 AD after a siege on Jerusalem. He is an influential man that we find here. And we see, first of all, we learn a little bit about him in verse 1. It says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
Now, I don't want to talk a lot about Pharisees today because one of our appointments that we're going to cover is Jesus meets the Pharisees. And there's this little interaction between three or four different Pharisees that we learn a lot. So I want to cover more of what the Pharisees believed then. Enough for us to say today that they were legalistic, that these guys just didn't want to follow what God said. That's always a good thing. If God tells us to do or not do something, it's always good for us to do and not do what God's told us to do. But men and women have a tendency to want to add extra. We say, God said this and you shouldn't do this, this or this. We, we get involved with people's lives where we shouldn't. The Bible says pastors are not to lord over people's lives. If you're in the habit of telling people what they should do, you should do this, you should do that, you should do this, you should do that. Maybe you should get that out of your life instead of trying to tell people all the time all the things that they should be doing because that's who the Pharisees were. They were you should, you should, you should, you should when they should have stopped is what they should have done. That's enough today. We'll talk more about them later. It says here he was a ruler of the Jews, which means he was part of the Sanhedrin. This is a group of 70 men who ruled over Jerusalem. They were the equivalent to the Supreme Court to the United States. When something went to the Sanhedrin, it was final. These were men with ultimate authority. Joseph of Arimathea was part of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin as well. And so then in verse 2 it says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, a lot has been made about him coming at night. It, when you read commentaries, they just get off on this section. Uh, we don't know why he came at night. Maybe he wanted to come in secret, and maybe that wasn't altogether a bad thing. Maybe he was searching. You know, I, I find that people will criticize the reasons people come to Jesus. You come to Jesus because you're feeling bad. You come to Jesus because you have a need in your life. You come to Jesus because you're on the bottom. Uh, you come to Jesus at night. You come to Jesus in the daytime. I don't know that there's a bad time to come to Jesus. Or there's a bad reason to come to Jesus. Just have a come to Jesus moment. That's all. Doesn't matter what time it is. Doesn't matter when it is. Doesn't matter what drove you there. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. That's incredibly important for him. And he's respectful to Jesus, although he's not accurate. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Certainly God is with him. Certainly he's doing these, these miracles. Nicodemus as a Pharisee, Paul, the apostle, was a Pharisee as well, and they memorized the entire Old Testament. Ancient worlds memorized much more than what we memorize because we have such access to be able to look things up. Every message, I'm looking up the verses just to make sure I'm quoting them right because over time, I tend to not quote them correctly anymore. So I recheck what I'm quoting, and if I'm quoting it distinctly wrong, I'll write it down in my notes just to make sure I'm quoting it correctly. He would know all of the Old Testament passages that spoke of, of what the Messiah would be like. And he's seen all of these miracles and he's putting two and two together. He calls him rabbi, which is one rabbi, one who is as a high place in Jerusalem and a new rabbi that has just come on the scene, but that, but's doing these incredible works and, and he's showing him respect. But he says, we know that you've come from God when that's not really true. He is God and he's going to answer that. Jesus is not going to let that stand He's going to answer it in his response to Nicodemus, and we'll talk more about that when we get there. But we see a certain amount of respect that Nicodemus has with Jesus. And I would say that when you're searching, when you're on a journey to find out whether or not you're going to believe in God or follow him, I would say just come with respect. That's always a good thing. It can never, never be a bad thing uh, to come to him with respect, and Nicodemus surely did. 
So Jesus kind of blows them out of the water in verse 3. He says, most assuredly, the, the word most assuredly here is the word amen. We put it at the end of prayers. I did it just a little while ago in the name of Jesus, amen. And you guys, some of you said amen with me. So be it, most assuredly, that's what it means. It was used in Greek to make an emphasis before you said something. And that's what Jesus does. Amen, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus says, unless, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven, he means everyone. I have had people say to me before, I'm a Christian, I'm just not one of them born again Christians. No such thing. I realize that you might not want to identify with born again Christians because we often don't represent Christ correctly. If you are going to make it into heaven, you have to be born again. Doesn't mean you have to be like other so-called born again Christians, but it does mean that you have to be born again. And we're somewhat familiar with it. We're probably the most familiar with it from Billy Graham because every crusade that he would give, he would say, are you born again? Have you asked Christ into your life? We are familiar with the concept of being born again, even though we might not know exactly what it means. And I want to talk about what it means today. But he says, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. You are not going to see it unless you are transformed somehow. Nicodemus gets snide with him now. Nicodemus gets sarcastic with him. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I had someone tell me one time that they thought that Nicodemus was sincere here and that I was too hard on him by saying that he was sarcastic. Either Nicodemus is sarcastic here or he is an idiot. There's no middle ground because Nicodemus knows you can't get back into your mother's womb to be born again. He is not being sincere in any way, shape or form. He's trying to show Jesus that the statement that he made is ridiculous. They can't happen that way. But Jesus shows him he's certainly not talking about being born again twice physically, which we would all know. So Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You've got to be born of the water and spirit. And there are six different versions as to what water and spirit would mean. And I'm not going to bore you or waste my time covering all six of them. I will just cover two of them. I'm telling you what it, what it doesn't say is that you have to be baptized. You have to be born and then baptized in order to be saved. That's the baptismal regeneration people. And there are a couple of significant baptismal regeneration churches in Tucson. So I really want to cover this now briefly. Baptismal regeneration says that you believe and then when you're baptized, you're saved. That's the, that salvation is from baptism. But the Bible says we are not saved by any works. We are saved by faith through grace, or we are saved by grace through faith as we trust and we believe in God, which is not a work, but is just believing what he said. It's like when you receive a gift on Christmas morning, that's not works. Because someone tried to tell me one time, well, if you believe that's works as well. I don't think so. When I receive a gift, it's not works, it's excitement, right? And when you were a kid, especially, it was like, yes, yes, there was no work involved in it at all. We're receiving the gift of salvation by believing in him, and that is not a work. We're simply believing what he says. But if you have to be baptized, then it becomes works. And people then, under baptismal regeneration, believe that because they've been baptized, they're okay. When not everyone who is baptized is going to make it into the kingdom of heaven just because they've been baptized. They then lean back on that work to believe that they're okay. My father-in-law from my late wife, her, her stepdad 
was part of the Church of Christ movement that believed in baptismal regeneration. And he used to argue with me about it constantly. He wanted to pick fights about it constantly. And at one point I made a reference to Jesus being God. And he said to me, no, Jesus isn't God. He's the son of God. And I said, yeah, and that means he's God. And he said, he is not. That's ridiculous. And I realized I'm not dealing with a believer here. I'm dealing with the guy who thinks he's a believer because he's been baptized. And I went right back to the beginning. I have to start talking to him as if he's a non-believer because he doesn't have a sense of who God is, even though, by the way, the Church of Christ does teach that Jesus is God. The Church of Christ teaches that, but this teaches us the danger. He believed just because he had been baptized, he was okay. He didn't go to church. He didn't do anything. But he, and he taught people all the time. I'm going to heaven. He said to me one time, why would you go to any other church when you could go to the Church of Christ? That's just the mindset that he had. And I should have said to him, you don't go to the Church of Christ. You haven't been to church in 20 years. You think because you were baptized, however long ago it was, that you're okay, which shows us there's no fruit of salvation in someone's life. So Jesus did not mean, and it would have made no sense, by the way, because Christian baptism, baptism was used in Judaism for several reasons, but it was unique and distinct when we believe and are baptized. We are supposed to be baptized, but we believe and we're baptized. And we believe, and if our family believes, then they are baptized. We believe and we are baptized, and that identifies us with Christ. We're buried with him and we're risen up together with him. But that wouldn't make any sense to Nicodemus. And Jesus doesn't go on to talk about that. Context is everything. So what does Jesus go on to talk about? This helps us to know what he's talking about. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he says, you must be born of water and the flesh. Now we know that the flesh is flesh. It's when you were born, you and I were all born. And now we know that it's of the spirit. When Adam and Eve sinned, their spirits died and they have a consciousness, but their spirits were dormant. And every child that has been born ever since has a dormant spirit or has a dead spirit. And Ephesians 2, 1 says that he has made us alive. He doesn't make us physically alive. We are already physically alive. He makes us spiritually alive. I like the King James Version that says, we are quickened to life. Our spirits suddenly come alive. And we now have a spirit that can interact with the spirit of God. And you are a spirit. If your spirit is never quickened, then you can never go into eternity because you're a spirit and if your spirit lies dormant and dead, then you will perish, as he's going to say here, momentarily. But if your spirit is alive, that's who you are. You are a body. You have a consciousness. You're aware of the world around you. And by the way, people who say they're spiritual that haven't been born again, that haven't had their spirit come to life, every once in a while you hear somebody say, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not a Christian. Their spirit hasn't been quickened to life. And when you start talking to them about how, how are you spiritual? They start talking about their consciousness and how they see the world and those things. That's not spiritual. A dog has a consciousness, but a dog's not spiritual. Your dog might be. But other than that, dogs aren't spiritual. A whale has a consciousness, but a whale isn't spiritual. A, you know, a horse is conscious of the world around them and they interact with the world around them, but that doesn't make them spiritual. It is when you are born again and that spirit is quickened to life and now you have a spirit that will last forever. And that is your identity. That's who you are. God is a spirit, the Bible says. 
There are demonic spirits, there are angelic spirits, there are cherubim and there are seraphim, and there is you who are believers in Christ and you are a spirit. And that spirit will now live forever. You are not your body, you are a spirit that has a body, you are not a body that has a spirit, and there ought to be a lot of amens that go along with that. Because I'm glad that this body is not who I am. There is something inside of me, that spirit who I am, and one day this body will catch up. I may perish, the Lord may not come back in my lifetime, and I may die, they may bury this body, but I will one day be resurrected, and this corruptible will put on incorruptible, this mortal will put on immortality, I'll become basically an Avenger. You watch those movies and they can slam into the sun, they run into trains, they're thrown around the world, nothing can happen to them, right? Until they find out their weakness, only you're going to be better than the Avengers because you're not going to have any weaknesses. You're not going to have any corruption. You're not going to have any immortality. You'll have everything in your body when it catches up to your spirit, who you are. In all of eternity, you will not be who your body is, but you will be who your spirit is. This is the beginning of it. The Bible says that if you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap life. If you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you will reap corruption. The Bible says that our outer man is perishing, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. When that Spirit is quickened to life, we want to feed it. We want to bring it to maturity. We want to seek the things of the Spirit that we can seek life. We want that inner man to be renewed day by day. And still, to this day, some 45 years after I have received Jesus as my Savior, I ask God on a daily basis to renew my inner man. I still ask Him, do a work in me. Help me not to see things wrongly. Because I realize that connected to this flesh, connected to the way I interact to this world through my consciousness, I can begin to see things wrong. I can be deceived by what looks one way and I can begin to believe that being the reality. And so I ask God continually, cause my spirit to grow. Let me continue to mature. Don't let me become stagnant in my spirit, but renew it day by day. I pray that for you guys. You guys hear me do it here. I often pray that we would be renewed day by day as I open up services. And that's because I see that and want it for my life. I want it for you as well. And so you must be born of the Spirit and you must be born of the flesh. Jesus makes it clear what water was, probably speaking of the amniotic fluid that happens when you're born. Amniotic fluid breaks, there's water, you're born of water, you're born of the Spirit, you're born of the flesh, you're born of the Spirit. Jesus clarifies it, there's no question. Okay, the controversy, if you look at context, is, is none. And then he says the, in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Once your spirit is born, there's something going on that can't be seen. But you can see the influence of it. I became a different person when I came to Christ. When you begin to live for the things of the Spirit, you become a different person. And the people around you identify it and see it. They can't tell what's happened to you. They can't, see, uh, they can't see the wind, but they can see the effects of the wind. They can't see your spirit or God's spirit working within you, but they can see the effect of the spirit on your life. And oftentimes that's what draws them to Christ. Because as we surrender ourselves to God and begin to grow spiritually, we become a different person. We no longer struggle with what we used to struggle at the levels we struggled with. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't take time to overcome those things because it does. But nevertheless, the Spirit of God works within us and it is unseen, but there is a fruit and evidence of our salvation that is revealed within our lives. Now Nicodemus answers him now and he's more sincere. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, 
How can these things be? Well, he should have known. The Old Testament said, I'm going to take away your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. That's a good description of being born again spiritually. You have a heart of stone, it's going to be gone and you're going to be given a heart of flesh. Suddenly you're going to be changed. The Old Testament talked about being redeemed. He should have known. There's plenty of, of fresh starts and, and a born again lingo in the Old Testament that he had memorized. Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? And do not know these things? Notice the word the there, the article the. He doesn't say, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Are you the teacher? He was one of those high-ranking men that people listen to. And he says, you're the teacher of Israel? You don't understand these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify and what we've seen, but you have not received our witness. If I tell you of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? See, salvation is an earthly thing. You're on earth and you need to be saved. You need to have Christ come into your life. You need to be transformed. You need to discover who you are in Christ. And this is things of the earth. But there's so much more about heaven that is amazing. Heaven is not just like an eternal vacation. That's what people think heaven is. I want to die. I want to go to heaven because I want to be on vacation forever. There was a twilight zone, of course, years ago. It wasn't one of the newer twilight zones, it was an older one. And you guys may remember this twilight zone where a guy dies and he finds himself in heaven and he's golfing and every shot he makes is goes in the hole. And, and, and there's beautiful women all over the place and every beautiful woman that he tries to have a relationship with has a relationship with him. It's just, it's just everything goes his way. Everything goes his way. This goes on for a few thousand years. And he goes finally back to the angel and he says, I really didn't expect heaven to be like this. I'm bored to tears. Every, every, I don't want to play golf anymore because every shot goes in and there's no challenge with these women. Every, any woman that I want, I get. And, there's no, and the angel said, you think this is heaven? <laughs> right? And, and I agree. An eternal vacation would be hell. That would be hell. Vacations are great for a while, but pretty soon it's like I'm done. Usually before the time I set up for vacation, I'm ready to get back from vacation. So he says, if I speak to you about earthly things and you don't understand them, why am I going to speak to you about heavenly things? How are you ever going to get a comprehension of what heaven is like if you stumble at your spirit uh, being born again here in this earthly realm? And so he says, now he's going to correct this little statement that he made Teacher, I know you're from God because no one does the works that you do unless they come from God. Jesus corrects that. He says, no one ascend, ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Now, if you don't realize the background of the Old Testament, that sounds like a nonsensical statement to you. Who is he who goes up into heaven, but he who comes down from heaven, that is the son of God, a man who is from heaven. But if you know the Old Testament, you know Daniel chapter 7. Take note of that. Read it. Every Christian needs to know it. It will help you to know what Jesus meant when he said, the Son of Man must suffer these things. When he refers to himself as the Son of Man, Jesus most often refers to himself as the Son of Man. And if you don't know what the Old Testament says, you think he's talking about his humanity. Well, he's the Son of a human. That's what he's saying, the Son of Man. But in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel sees a vision of the Ancient of Days with thrones. Not one throne, but thrones. And coming on the clouds is the Son of Man. 
And he comes and he joins the Ancient of Days and he sits down on a throne with the Ancient of Days and he is given power and dominion and glory forever and ever. Daniel chapter 7 reveals that the Son of Man is God. And so every time Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer, the Son of Man, he's talking about himself being God. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.